is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, confirmed that a long-awaited fight back was underway, saying that, quote, counter-offensive and defensive actions are taking place. Meanwhile, there was no infighting on the Russian side with Wagner, a private mercenary group. A minister, Nikolai Pankov, said that, quote, volunteer formations would now have to sign formal contracts with the defence ministry. The head of Wagner, Yevgeny Prigozhin, replied that they would sign no such contracts, accusing the defence ministry of incompetence. Nicola Sturgeon was arrested in relation to a police inquiry into the finances of the Scottish National Party. She was later released without charge pending further investigation. The former party leader resigned as First Minister of Scotland on February the 15th. Since then, her house has been searched by detectives and her husband, Peter Morell, the SNP's former chief executive, arrested. He was also released without charge. The police investigation concerns about £600,000 that was donated to the SNP by activists. Honduras opened an embassy in China where the Central American country's president, Xiomara Castro, is on a state visit. Honduras cut diplomatic ties with the island of Taiwan, which China claims as its own territory, earlier this year. China demands that countries with which it has ties formally acknowledge its claim. Taiwan now has full diplomatic relations with just 13 countries. The European Union announced an offer worth more than 1 billion euros, 1.7 billion dollars, to Tunisia, which is suffering an economic crisis. Much of the funding, in the form of grants and long-term loans, is conditional on the North African country adopting economic reforms, mandated by the IMF, and would need to be approved by EU governments. In recent months, a surge of migrants to Europe have fled from and through Tunisia. Fighting broke out across Khartoum, Sudan's capital, as a 24-hour ceasefire in the three-month conflict between the country's army and the rapid support forces expired. The army is loyal to General Abdel Fattah al-Bahan, Sudan's de facto leader, since a coup in 2019, and the RSF follow Mohamed Hamdan Daglo, a warlord. The fighting has displaced nearly 2 million people already and reportedly killed at least 1,800. Divisions over Boris Johnson's resignation from Parliament emerged within Britain's ruling Conservative Party. One former minister, Jacob Rees-Mogg, warned that blocking Mr Johnson's return to Parliament would provoke a, quote, civil war in the party. Meanwhile, one current minister, Grant Shapps, said that voters wouldn't, quote, miss the drama of it all. Mr Johnson, a former Prime Minister, quit after receiving a report by lawmakers about whether he lied about Covid lockdown breaches. Novak Djokovic became the first man to win 23 Grand Slam tennis titles, having previously been tied with his fierce rival Rafael Nadal on 22. The Serbian beat Kaspar Ruud in three sets at the final of the French Open tournament in Paris, 
Mr Djokovic also became the first man to win all four majors, at least three times each. And fact of the day, 83,000. The approximate number of gonorrhea cases diagnosed in England in 2022, the most since records began in 1918. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Russia's home front. On Monday, Russia enjoys a public holiday to mark the country's declaration of sovereignty from the Soviet Union. The symbolism of Russia Day is not lost on those Russians who oppose President Vladimir Putin's increasingly repressive regime. More than a dozen dissident Russian media outlets, now largely operating from abroad, are joining forces to mark the occasion with a televised marathon in support of the country's political prisoners, raising money for their families. Meanwhile, Russia's state propagandists are trying to persuade the population that everything is under control in Ukraine. That is becoming increasingly difficult. In recent weeks, a swarm of drones attacked Moscow. Pro-Ukrainian militias made forays into Belgorod, a southern Russian province, and Ukraine launched its highly anticipated counteroffensive. Should the Kremlin suffer big territorial losses, the public mood could sour, and the palpable tensions among Russia's elite could intensify. Mr. Putin has had little trouble suppressing dissent so far, but any more military setbacks will make that much harder. India's rate-setters wait for the rains. The summer may have scorched India, but prices at least are cooling. Data released on Monday will probably reveal that the annual inflation rate slowed to 4.4% in May, the lowest level in more than a year. Much of that is due to the slowing increase in food prices, which account for nearly half of India's consumer price basket. Last week, the Reserve Bank of India, which targets a rate of 4%, held interest rates for a second consecutive meeting. Yet, the central bank remains weary. Much will depend on the monsoons, which arrived in India last week after the longest delay in four years. Now that they are here, policymakers are hoping the rains will drench the country and its agricultural land adequately. But the earth is now in the midst of an El Nino event, a global climate pattern that makes weaker monsoons more likely. In India, that means reduced farm yields and higher food prices. The RBI could find itself tightening again soon. Sweden, Turkey and NATO – The Road to Vilnius Talks between Turkey, a long-time NATO member, Jens Stoltenberg, the alliance's secretary-general, and Sweden take place on Monday. Sweden applied to join NATO after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but Turkey delayed their membership bid. It accused Sweden of having become a safe haven for members of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or PKK, an armed Kurdish group and Turkey's mortal enemy. However, chances of a breakthrough are improving, ahead of a NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania's capital, in July. Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, no longer needs to appease nationalist voters at home. He was elected to a third term in May. Sweden, meanwhile, has gone a long way to meet Turkey's concerns. Legislation that criminalizes support for terrorist organizations recently went into force. And last week, Sweden's top court approved the extradition of a PKK supporter convicted of drug offences to Turkey, a first. Assuming he wants to do so, Mr Erdogan can now claim victory and give Sweden a green light. Larry Ellison's quiet success 
For the world's fourth richest man, Larry Ellison receives surprisingly little attention. With a net worth of $138 billion, the co-founder and chairman of Oracle, a business software firm, is richer than Warren Buffett, a famed investor, and only just behind Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. Mr. Ellison's surging wealth is thanks to the impressive performance of Oracle's share price. It has rocketed 137% in the past five years, comfortably outperforming tech giants such as Alphabet, Amazon, and Meta. Despite a slowing economy, Oracle's sales continue to grow at an impressive clip, fueled by its pivot to cloud computing. Analysts expect the firm to report 16% sales growth year-on-year for the most recent quarter on Monday. In recent years, Oracle has also been pouring cash and debt into share buybacks, feeding the rally. By holding on to his shares, Mr. Ellison has roughly doubled his slice of the company to over two-fifths. That should leave him with enough pocket money to fund his famously lavish lifestyle. Iranians remember their torture on film. Cinema has long been an outlet for resistance against Iran's theocratic regime. Muran Tamadon, a dissident director, has now turned his lens on the barbaric techniques deployed in Iranian prisons. His two new films, Where God Is Not and My Worst Enemy, have their premiere in Britain at Sheffield Dockfest this week. In the first, three exiled Iranians reenact their experiences of solitary confinement and torture in jail, including the notorious Evin prison in Tehran. Mr. Tamadan's subjects are Mazia Ibrahimi, a businessman who was accused of being a spy, Homar Kalhori, who wrote a memoir about her persecution, and Taghi Ramani, a journalist. Each describes the horrors that their captors inflicted on them. In My Worst Enemy, a prominent Iranian actor stages a brutal mock interrogation of Mr. Tamadon. These visceral depictions of torture and interrogation reflect a bold shift in Iranian cinema. Rather than subtle references designed to evade censors, this is overt defiance. Daily Quiz Our barristers will serve you a new question each day of the week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Monday. What was the name of the 2021 film that was a prequel to The Sopranos TV series? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Edmund Wilson, who died on this day in 1972. Marxism is the opium of the intellectuals. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. 